Good evening. <clears throat> it's uh, 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is webyeshiva.org, and it's time to begin our regular halacha shir. Uh, our topic for this evening and for next week is uh, glass utensils and kashrut, uh, using glass utensils for milk and meat using the same one, the same utensil for milk and meat, for kosher and not kosher, for chametz, and uh, for all year long use. Uh, we're going to cover ordinary glass and uh, heat resistant glass, Pyrex, Duralex, heat resistant glass by any other name. We're going to get to that uh, uh, eventually. And uh, well, let, let's see. Let's see what the post can have to say. Uh, everyone knows what glass is. Remember that uh, uh, on the microscopic level, uh, glass is um, is what they call in the business a super a super cooled fluid. As although we think normally of glass as being solid, and indeed for all ordinary purposes it is solid, but uh, glass uh, is technically speaking a liquid because it flows, but it flows very slowly. Uh, it takes you know hundreds of years to notice that the glass has flowed a little bit from one place to another. But on the microscopic level, glass is not a crystal, unlike metals, for example, which are a crystal on the microscopic level. The molecules are, are organized in a lattice, and therefore uh, metals have a rigid structure. They're solid and don't flow, don't flow in their solid state. Uh, unlike that, glass on its uh, molecular level is amorphous. The molecules are disorganized, uh, not 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 organized in a lattice pattern, and therefore and therefore glass is technically speaking a liquid. But as far as we're concerned, for all practical purposes, uh, halacha depends upon what it looks like to our eyes, and it surely looks like it's a uh, truly looks like it's a solid and therefore we have utensils made out of glass well let, let, let's see the, the opinions of the postkin the, the story begins with the ravia and uh, i don't have to uh, tell you exactly the precise source i'm quoting from because you have the uh, the, the exact reference on the screen uh, the exact exact simon number, the exact page number, the exact chapter number, depending upon the book that we're quoting from. Uh, and uh, the Ravya, like all the other authorities we're going to be quoting in this series, are heavyweight authorities, uh, principal authorities upon whom uh, Halacha has stood through the, through the centuries. Let's see what the Ravya has to say about this. We learn in, in, in the Avos de Rabbi Nassim, everyone knows Pirkei Avot, that's part of the Mishnah, that there's a parallel body of material from the Mishnaic period, the same rabbis who gave us Pirkei Avot in the Mishnah, gave us Avot, Avot de Rabbi Nassim, and it's available in several different editions. I'm quoting the Shechter edition. Um, let, let's see what this Tanaitic source says, Tanaitic from the days of the Mishnah, the same rabbis who gave us the Mishnah. They said as follows, Shlosha Dvarim Ne'emru B'Klicheres. There are three principal ideas related to earthenware utensils. Ushlosha B'Klicheres And there are three 
basic principles associated with glass utensils. All the way back in the Mishnaic period, the rabbis distinguished between the halachas of earthenware and the halachas of glass utensils. Kli cheres balea. Uh, earthenware utensils absorb the taste of whatever is cooked in them. Cook in the milk, get the taste of milk, cook in the trafe, get the taste of trafe, whatever you cook in the earthenware utensil, the earthenware utensil is going to absorb the taste. Well, that's simple and straightforward. Maflit, the um, earthenware utensils will then release the taste that was previously absorbed into the next food you cook. Well, that's mm -hmm. why we have separate milk and meat utensils. Mishamer, uh, betocho, and uh, an earthenware utensil doesn't leak. Well, hopefully it doesn't leak. It, it keeps what's inside of it. Masha uh, Enkein, all this is different from Zchuchit. Tama Meshum Deshii, glass is a little bit different. Glass is Shii. Shii is the word for smooth, has no uh, uh, very smooth surface glass is smooth and therefore glass does not absorb and since it doesn't absorb any taste it can't release any taste and it's slippery uh, things slide off of it very easily well uh, the characteristics that we're interested in are obviously glasses inability to absorb and therefore will not release any taste into anything else since it didn't absorb anything now, uh, uh, remember that on the, on the molecular level, this is not, uh, on, the on the molecular level, this is a little bit problematic. And I'll explain to you why. Of course, they didn't know about the molecular structure of glass, but we, we know about it. And uh, uh, since, since glass on the molecular level is amorphous, the molecules are not organized in a neat lattice pattern, unlike metal, for example. On a microscopic level, a metal utensil uh, made out of cast iron or stainless steel or copper or whatever the metal is all metals have a lattice structure for the molecules uh, the crevices the microscopic crevices in the on the surface of a um, on the surface of a, of a metal utensil are fairly small uh, because the molecules are well organized um, of course, the lattice structure is not perfect. Uh, there are many defects in it, and therefore small crevices here and there. Unlike glass, glass, which has an, uh, has no particular pattern of molecules, it's amorphous. The uh, the crevices which exist on the surface of glass on the microscopic level tend to be tend to be much larger than the crevices on uh, on metal utensils, and therefore on the microscopic level. Um, uh, glass is able to capture more molecules of whatever is cooked in it than, uh, than the metal utensils are able to capture. In any event, according to Avastar Rabbi Nason, from the days of the Mishnah, glass is said to be non-absorbent. Since it does not absorb taste, it has no taste to release into the next thing you cook. Uh, no objection therefore to using the same glass utensils for cooking uh, one day meat and the next day milk uh, a trafe food was cooked in a glass utensil you can clean the utensil use it the next day for kosher food and so forth and so on not absorbent and therefore 
no taste to release into whatever you're cooking now. That was back in the days of the Mishnah. Let's flash forward to the Mordechai. Uh, Mordechai was at the end of the period of the Bali Tosafot, Ashkenaz territory. And uh, he says as follows, Rabbeinu Yechiel mi Paris. Uh, don't get too upset about the shin at the end of Paris. Paris, Paris is the, the capital of, uh, of France, right? Uh, Paris. And uh, in those days it was spelled with a shin. Rabbi Yechiel, who was one of the Balea Tosafot, one of the great medieval authorities, and was the rabbi of Paris, uh, Haya Omer used, used to say, Tahani Kosot, used to say that drinking glasses, uh, made out of glass, drinking glasses, made out of glass, used all year long, Asur lishtot behemba pesach. You're not allowed to use them on pesach. Ordinary drinking glasses made out of glass, used all year long. Rabbi Yechiel said you can't use them on pesach. Afilu irui. Even if you wash them out, washing them out doesn't help. Why? Mishum because the status of a glass utensil is the same as the status of earthenware. Well, this is just the opposite of what we learned on the previous screen. On the previous screen, we learned that glass utensils do not absorb and therefore have no absorbed taste to release into whatever you're cooking next. Rabbi Yechiel, coming in the period of the Rishonim, seems to say just the opposite. He says glass utensils are just like earthenware utensils and absorb the taste of whatever is in them. And that taste will then come out and be released the next time you use the utensil. Why is that true? Why do glass utensils absorb and release taste? Ho'il, because trilat briatan minachol because glass is made out of sand. And that's true, uh, glass is a silicate and it, it is indeed made out of sand. Um, and, and since glass is made out of sand, sand is like the earth and therefore glass utensils made out of sand, which is like the earth, have the status of earthenware. Now, you, you, you'll see that the, uh, the Mordechai, quoting Rabbi Hiel here, holds that the status of the utensil, the status of the glass utensil, depends upon the material it is made out of. And since the glass utensils are made out of earth, sand, which is the same thing, uh, since, uh, since the, the, the uh, glass utensils are made out of sand, they therefore have the status of klicheris, of earthenware. They absorb the taste and release the taste. You cannot use your uh, all year long drinking glasses for Pesach. Torah heida al klicheris, she'en olam. And the, the Torah says flat out that, you, that, that, that uh, earthenware utensils absorb and there is no way to kasher them. 
unlike metal utensils, which can be koshered by boiling, earthenware utensils cannot be koshered at all. And glass has the status of earthenware. And therefore, glass utensils absorb and release taste and can never be koshered. Boiling them, hagalah, doesn't help. The halacha is exactly the opposite on this page when compared to what we saw on the previous page. On the previous, filling, oh, filling with water three times, filling with water, waiting 24 hours, three times changing the water. La'olam, never, la'olam, never can glass be koshered. That's the opinion of Rabbi Michael. You can't have two more opposite opinions. On the previous screen, glass did not absorb, so there was nothing to kosher. It's just always kosher. On the current screen, Rabbi Yechiel is quoted as saying exactly the opposite. Not only does it absorb and therefore release taste, there is no way to kosher it. Af al gav de tashmisho even though you use glasses, drinking glasses for cold beverages all year long, and you might think that that cold utensils used cold do not absorb. You might think that absorption takes place only while cooking, only when the utensil is hot. And drinking glasses are never used hot. They're only used for cold beverages. Mekol makom, nonetheless, shoin behen ptitin shalechem biyayin. Nonetheless, it's customary to put toasted pieces of bread warm toasted pieces of bread into the wine while you are drinking uh, uh, and this therefore has the status of kavush kavush literally means pickled let me explain to you what this drinking glass has to do with pickling the idea is as follows. If, if you pickle any, well, everyone eats pickles. There are all kinds of pickles. You can get pickled fish. You can get pickled vegetables. I mean, you can just pickled meat. Uh, you can just pickle just about anything. Uh, pickling is a way of, uh, of preserving food. And indeed, pickling, uh, pickling uh, occupies in many ways the same culinary role as cooking. In the kitchen, uh, pickling something has the same purposes as cooking it. Uh, for example, you can pickle a raw fish and now it's ready to eat. You can either cook the fish or pickle it. Uh, pickling is, uh, is, uh, is a process which is very similar to cooking and therefore, since cooking causes tastes to be absorbed into the utensil, similarly, pickling causes tastes to be absorbed in the utensil. And the halakh definition of pickling is a liquid contact for a period of 24 hours or more. You don't need heat for this, even cold. If you have liquid contact for a period of 24 hours or more, uh, cold milk sits in the utensil for, 25, for 24 hours or longer. That's called pickling. The milk has been pickled in the, uh, in the glass and absorption takes place not only with heat, but also with pickling. Ave kimavushal, pickling has the same status as cooking. It's kimavushal, like cooking. That is, it has the same halachic status, and therefore all is lost. Uh, glass utensils 
absorbed. They have the status of uh, of um, of uh, earthenware. They cannot be kosher. And even if you didn't cook in them, you probably had liquids in them for a period of 24 hours or longer, and therefore chametz uh, uh, was pickled in them and you can't use them for Pesach. There's really no room for any leniency whatsoever in the opinion of Rabbi Yechiel, the Rav of Paris, quoted by the Mordechai, one of the great Baliatosophos from Ashkenaz territory. Well, now we're going to have to uh, uh, have some decisions. Whom are we going to follow? Which, which opinion are we going to embrace? The opinion of the rabbis from the Mishnah or the opinion of the Baliatosophos that we see on the screen now? Let's turn to the Shulchan Aruch for some decisions about which opinion to embrace. These are the words of the Shulchan Aruch, and uh, of course I don't have to tell you exactly the, the simon number and the paragraph number I'm quoting from because you have that on the screen. You can look it up and see what my typographical errors are. Not a great typist. These are the words of the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, a glass utensil. Even if you use it to store whiskey, long-term, a whiskey bottle, right? A glass utensil. Even if you use it to store whiskey, long-term, whiskey is hummus, right? Whiskey is made from uh, grains. A beer bottle, uh, yeah, uh, beer is hummus, it's made from barley. Uh, a glass utensil which has been used for long-term storage of liquid chametz. Long-term means 24 hours or longer. That's the definition of long-term. 24 hours or longer, that's the point at which pickling takes place. Even if you wish to use it with hot foods, even if you're using hot, hot whiskey, hot, uh, hot porridge, Hot oatmeal, hot oatmeal in the glass utensil. You, know, you, you, cook, you cook oatmeal, hummets, in, in, the, in the glass utensil, and you leave it on the stove 24 hours, hot, 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 hot hummets, oatmeal in the, in the glass utensil, hot for 24 hours, right, as long as you want. There's no need for any kashering at all. Enambolim. Glass does not absorb, and therefore absorbs no taste to be released into the next thing you cook. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the glass utensil in which you stored chametz, the whiskey bottle, the, the glass utensil in which you cooked oatmeal, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. You want to use it for Pesach? Shtifa ba'alma ordinary washing, just wash it up, make sure there's no oatmeal in it anymore, make sure there's no whiskey in it anymore. Sagilu, and that's enough. The Shulchan Aruch has paskined clearly, definitively, and with a clear voice that glass does not absorb, and therefore, if it was previously used for long-term storage of milk or cooking milk, all you have to do is clean it in the ordinary way, no milk present at the moment, and use it for meat or the other way around. The utensil was used uh, for treif stuff, either long-term storage or cooking treif, glass utensil used for long-term storage of treif, or uh, 
or cooking pork or whatever, as long as the utensil is now clean, that's all you need, and it's kosher, ready to use for either kosher milk, kosher milk, meat, whatever you whatever you want to use it for. That's the Shulchanach. Hagam. Now, everyone knows that the Ramah, Reb Moshe Isserlis, in the, in the 16th century, added Ashkenaz notes to the Shulchan Aruch, where the Ashkenaz poskim disagree with the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch was written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, one of the great Sephardic authorities, where the Ashkenaz rabbis disagree with the Sephardic rabbis, the, the Ramah uh, uh, speaks up, and in the, um, the, the printers uh, develop the convention of printing the words of the Ramah in Rashi script, so it's always easy to distinguish who is the Sephardi, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and who is the Ashkenazi, Rabbi Moshe Isulis. So now we're going to see the, the Ashkenaz take on the issue of glass utensils. Yesh Mahmirim, some people are strict. Some people are strict. That's a, a, an expression which the Ramah always uses for our team, the Ashkenaz team. The Ashkenaz team is strict. The Omrim, the Ashkenaz rabbis say, not only do glass utensils absorb and release taste, but you cannot kosher them by Hagalah. You can't. It doesn't work. It's like klicheres. It's like uh, the, the glass is like earthenware. Uh, and that is the practice of Ashkenaz Jews, not to even think of koshering a glass utensil. If it was used for milk, there's no way to use it for meat. If it was used for treif, there's no way to use it for kosher. If it was used for uh, chametz, there's no way to use it for Pesach. That's uh, in Ashkenaz, Medinot Elu. Ashkenaz technically means uh, Central Europe, um, what today is called Germany. Uh, Medinot Eila, these countries, he was a little bit further east in, in Krakow, in Eastern Europe. So in, in, in Central Europe, German territory, and in Eastern Europe, Polish uh, Jewish territory, uh, that is the practice of the Ashkenaz Jews uh, to treat glass utensils as absorbent, releasing taste, incapable of being kashered. The chayin kli kesef uh uh, 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 actually with a het, hituch, zchuchit shekorin geschmelzt. Similarly, metal utensils, which have a glaze on them, uh, many, uh, many glass utensils in those days were glazed on the inside surface because much of what you might want to store in the metal utensil would have a bad chemical reaction with the metal in the course of time, glaze the inside surface, that has put a fine layer of glass on the inside surface of the utensil, and you can store things for a long time and not have to worry about chemical reactions between the, the, the wine and whatever metal the utensil is made out of. Oh, but there's glass in it. Ein lahagilo, if there's any glass in the utensil, part of the utensil is glass. In this case, interior glazing of the surface, just a, a, the, the finest, the thinnest layer of glass, that's enough 
to say that the utensil cannot be kashered. Can't use it for Pesach. But if there's a little bit of glass on the outside of the utensil, that doesn't bother us. A little bit of glass on the outside of the utensil, well, that's not going to absorb anything, so we're not so worried about it. But any glass which comes in contact with the food and the, or the liquid on the inside surface of the utensil renders the utensil unkosherable. Well, it's perfectly clear from the historical point of view what's going on here. The, the, the Ramah, Ramosha Isulis, the Ashkenaz Posek, is clearly falling in line with the thinking of the great medieval Ashkenaz rabbis, the Balia Tosafot. And, uh, and the Shulchan Aruch is, of course, falling in line with the thinking of the other sources. And, and this is ex- very typical. I mean, almost all controversies, almost all disagreements between the Svardic author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and Rabosha Isulis, representing the Ashkenaz team, almost all of them derive from an earlier controversy between earlier Svardic and earlier Ashkenaz authorities. Historically, that's the way it usually works. There's no surprise, no mystery about that. At this point, Let's um, take a look at uh, the com- principal commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. First commentary we want to look at is the Mogan Avram, written by Rav Avram Gumbina, uh, uh, Ashkenaz, uh, 17th century. And he says, regarding the Ashkenaz Minhag to be strict, Aval B'dyeved, Enel Hachmir. The Ashkenaz minhag, the Ashkenaz practice of strictness and, and s- saying that glass utensils absorb taste, release taste, and can never be kashered, this is a, this is a, a strict position of chumra, a strict position of lechatchila. What, what the Ashkenaz rabbis mean is you should never use a milk, a, a milk utensil made out of glass for meat or the other way around. Uh, but what they mean is you should never use an all-year-long glass utensil for Pesach. Uh, but if it got used by mistake, which could happen, im hu if the utensil was not used hot, if it's only used for cold stuff, and got used for the wrong kind of food, Milk uh, was put into the uh, into the meaty glass utensil, or the other way around. Uh, kosher Pesach food was put into the uh, glass utensil all year round. You shouldn't have done that if you're Ashkenazi. But if it happens, everything, everything's okay. The chumra, the strict position of the Ashkenazim, is only lechatchila. Only only regulates the way you're supposed to do things. But if something went wrong and the tra- trafe utensil made out of glass was used for kosher food, you shouldn't have used it, according to the Ashkenaz authorities. But the food's going to be okay. Uh, the, 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 if you've done it on purpose, you're out of luck. But uh, think about it for a moment. If you can imagine in, in some fantasy world, I realize that this would never actually happen. But if in some fantasy world you can imagine an Ashkenazi who is a guest 
in a Sephardic household. And in the Sephardic household, they are using a single set of grass utensils, dishes, soup bowls. They're using a single set of, of glass utensils for both milk and meat, meat soup, oatmeal with milk in it. They're using the same utensils for both, which is exactly what the Shulchan Aruch says is correct to do and is exactly, therefore, the Sephardic practice. And uh, there's a, uh, an Ashkenazi guest, and they put the uh, the uh, Fleischik soup in the bowl, which had a few hours previously been used for hot oatmeal with milk. Well, uh, Ashkenazi were not supposed to do that, but no Ashkenazi did it. It was the Sfaradi host who did it, and there's no objection to the Sfaradi host following the instructions of the Shulchan Aruch and the Sephardic authorities. But now the food, now the, the Fleischik soup or or the milchic oatmeal, whatever it is, is now in the glass dish. It already happened. Mogan Avram says, all is well. No objection to eating the food, even though you would not have prepared the food in that manner yourself. Um, you either did it by accident or, or, or Sfaradi did it on purpose. It, it happens. Well, the food is okay. Uh, if the glass utensils were used hot, uh, at least hagala, boiling water, should be used uh, to kasher them. Now, um, at this point, I have given the impression, and indeed the sources have given us the impression, that the machlokas, the disagreement between the Sephardic authorities and the Ashkenaz authorities is a big one. That uh, uh, glass is has no regulations at all according to the Sephardic authorities and according to the, the Ashkenaz authorities, you shouldn't use glass utensils in an incorrect way, but if it happens, the food is going to be acceptable. That's surely the impression we have. Uh, Venera Lee, and it seems to me, it seems to me that if liquid chametz was in the glass utensil for 24 hours or longer, that's the same as cooking with it. Well, we understand that. Kovush, kemavushal, pickling has the status of, uh, of cooking. And therefore, if uh, there's liquid contact between milk and the utensil, liquid contact between... Uh, Meat, uh, meat, meaty liquid and utensil, treif, comets, whatever it is, if there's liquid contact, then it, the taste is absorbed just like by cooking. Uh, we're left with the impression of a big machlokis lechatchila, how you're supposed to use your utensils. Uh, but the avid, everything is going to be okay, that's true. But the avid, nothing is going to be prohibited here. But L'Chadchila, the Ashkenazim seem to be very strict. But then, the Mogan of Ram adds the following line. Ein lidamoto These halachas, which we've just been discussing, according to, the, according to which the Ashkenaz poskim claim that glass absorbs, releases, and cannot be kashered, 
all these halachas we've just been discussing, the strict position of the Ashkenaz poskim should not be compared with Yein Nesech. What is Yein Nesech? Uh, uh, strictly speaking, Yein Nesech is wine of libations, wine which the idolaters have offered as an offering on the idolatrous altar. You pour wine as a libation on the idolatrous altar. That's yein nesek. That's the technical meaning of the word. But uh, <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the Mughan of Rome says he's referring to Simon Kuflamit Hay in the Yoradea. And if you look there, you'll see the context is a little bit different. Uh, he's using the term yein nesek, not in its technical sense, but in the sense that it is used in the Yoradea in Kuflamit Hay, namely, wine which has been handled by a non-Jew. Now, what wine which has been handled by a non-Jew is, um, is also prohibited. And uh, even if there's no idolatrous connection whatsoever, even if it's not an idolater who handled it, but I'm an ordinary non-Jew, the reason non-Jewish wine is prohibited, any wine which has been handled by a non-Jew, the reason why non-Jews handling the wine prohibits it is in the words of the Gemara. In the words of the Gemara, this prohibition has nothing to do with idolatry. Rather, asru yenam wine, which has been handled by non-Jews is prohibited because of their daughters. You participate in a social event together with non-Jews if you participate in a social event together with non-Jews, one thing leads to another, and we're afraid that intermarriage will result. And therefore, the rabbis saw fit to introduce a prohibition in the midst of social interaction. A social interaction with non-Jews is permitted, but in the midst of that social interaction, the rabbis introduced one specific prohibition, namely, you can't drink their wine. If they offer you a glass of wine, you have to say, oh, no, thank you, I'll have a beer instead, or something like that. The, the social interaction is okay. It's the, 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 the wine, which is in order to re remind the Jews to maintain some kind of social distance so as not to come to intermarriage. That's the whole basis of uh, prohibited wine, which has a lot to do with the story of, of Purim, if you think about it. In any event, prohibited wine, don't, don't compare. There's no comparison between everything we've discussed up to this point and other prohibit, prohibited foods or beverages. Uh, hummets is different from all other prohibited foods. All kinds of leniencies are possible regarding other prohibited foods. Chametz is extraordinarily strict. No leniencies are possible with respect to chametz. And everything we've said up till this point about the strict position of Ashkenaz rabbis regarding glass has to do with Pesach and only with Pesach. Other, pro, other kashrus problems 
Ashkenaz rabbis agree with the Svadic rabbis. Use the same utensils for milk and meat. If it's a trafe utensil, start using it for kosher. No, no, no problem at all. The only problem that Ashkenaz rabbis have with glass utensils is for Pesach because no leniencies are permitted. There's no room for leniencies when talking about chametz on Pesach. And the reason for that is fairly simple and straightforward. After all, the Torah itself piles prohibition upon prohibition with respect to chametz. Other things, trafe meat, pork, prohibited fowl, fish, uh, uh, other things which are prohibited are simply prohibited. There's a verse somewhere in the Torah that prohibits it. Chametz, on the other hand, the Torah itself piles prohibition upon prohibition. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to derive any benefit from it. You're not even allowed to have it in your house. There's a special prohibition uh, not to eat it on the de- afternoon before Pesach. Uh, the Torah itself builds fence around fence around fence. You shouldn't come close to violating the prohibition of chametz. So we see that the Torah itself is extraordinarily strict regarding chametz. So of course. Uh, the rabbis take the Ashkenaz rabbis take their lead from that, and where there's room for a strict position regarding chametz, the Ashkenaz rabbis are strict. But that all has to do with chametz. If it's only milk and meat, if it's only ordinary treif and kosher, glass utensils don't absorb, and uh, 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 there's no objection to Ashkenazim following the Sephardic authorities. That's what the Magen Avram teaches us. Well, now we can sigh a big sigh of relief. According to this, Ashkenazim should have no objection to using the same glass dishes, glass bowls, and so forth and so on for both milk and meat. Or if you acquired trafe utensils in the flea sale, you know, garage sale somewhere, just have to make sure they're clean, and you can use them for kosher. Now, the other principal commentary on the uh, on the Shulchan Aruch, that was the Mogan of Ram, now comes the second principal commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, the Taz, also 17th century Germany, these are two Ashkenaz commentaries. Yesh mahmirim afilu lamahani, those who say Glass utensils can never even be kosher. Svirlu, who they think, that glass utensils are like klicheris, or like earthenware. Nonetheless, the Taz agrees with what the Mogan Avram taught us in the previous screen. Well, historically, it's the other way around. The Taz was a little bit earlier. Uh, in any event, both the Taz and the Mogan Avram, the two principal Ashkenaz commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, are in agreement that that as far as the fundamental understanding is concerned, Ashkenaz rabbis agree with the Sfaradim, glass doesn't absorb and therefore has no taste to release. Except on Pesach, the Ashkenaz rabbis are very strict. And all year long, for milk and meat, they say you shouldn't use the same utensils for both, but if you did, the food is never going to be prohibited. Because the fundamental concept, the fundamental thinking of the Svartic postkim that glass does not absorb is fundamentally correct. 
Um, uh, well, uh, all this is very interesting and of course has vast, vast uh, ramifications. Uh, as far as lechatchila, intentionally using the same glasses for milk and meat, Sephardic authorities have no objection at all. Some Ashkenaz authorities, namely the Mogan of Rum in the previous screen, have no objection at all to using the same glass utensils for milk and meat, even for Ashkenazim. Uh, the Taz says, Lechatchila. It's not the correct way to set up a kitchen, but if it happened, uh, there's no, everything's going to be okay. Nothing is going to be prohibited. Let's go one step further. Up until this point, we've been looking at sources in the Shulchan Aruch in the section dealing with Pesach. All the quotations we've had from the Shulchan Aruch and the commentaries up to this point have been from the section of the Shulchan Aruch dealing with Pesach. Now, let's take a look at dealing with prohibitions in general, uh, the Ordea section. Some people hold, the Shulchan Aruch says, that uh, uh, prohibited wine or prohibited whatever it is will prohibit the utensil only if there's liquid contact for 24 hours or more. Some people say the same thing is true with utensils made out of wood or leather. If there's liquid contact for 24 hours or more with something prohibited, then the utensil becomes prohibited. Some people hold that even metal, even uh, metal utensils or, or stone utensils, which are in liquid contact for 24 hours or more, uh, acquire the halachic status of whatever the liquid is. And that's the correct that's the correct practice according to the Shulchan Aruch. But utensils made out of glass. Glass utensils is no reason to be strict at all. Now, now here the Ramah is silent. Here the Shulchan Aruch is presenting, of course, the Sfaradi position that glass does not absorb and therefore poses no kashrus issue at all. And here the Ramah, the Ashkenaz posek is silent. It was only in connection with Chometz, it was only in connection with Pesach that the Ramah, the Ashkenaz authority and the other Ashkenaz poskim spoke up with a strict position. Here, the Ashkenaz authorities are all of a sudden silent simply accepting the position of the Sephardic rabbis in the Shulchan Aruch. And the Berhetev, which is typical of Ashkenaz authorities, since glass is smooth and doesn't absorb anything, it poses no halachic issues. Not only are almost all Ashkenaz poskim silent at this point, where the Shulchan Aruch is talking about general kashrus issues outside of Pesach. But uh, some of them, like the Bear Hayteve, say, yeah, go for it. Glass doesn't absorb when, as long as we're talking about any issue outside of Hametz. Well, now we're left with, uh, uh, with a good reason 
to, to follow the more lenient thinking of the Mughan Avram two screens ago, according to which the only Ashkenaz strictness is number one for Pesach, and number two, Lechatchila and not Bidyevid, no food is ever going to become prohibited if a mistake is made or if someone else is following the lenient uh, position. Let's go one step further. Uh, the Knesset Hagdolah, written by Chaim Ben Venisti, was the uh, name of the author. He, he quotes the strict position of the Ramah when talking about Pesach and says, Mihu, however, Inyan Pesach says flat out the Ramah, the Ashkenaz Poskim are strict specifically regarding Chomets on Pesach and not other issues like milk and meat or treif. As far as other issues are concerned, glass does not absorb. Le'inyin shari surim, regarding any other prohibition aside from chametz, a minhag shelolachush klal, the Ashkenaz minhag is lenient, and you can use the same utensils for milk and meat. Yeah, we're going to come to the kitchen shalom. We'll come to the kitchen shalom. Kidneys. Someone, someone inquires about kidneys. Uh, well, let me just make a, a footnote, a side comment regarding kidneys. Kidneys is not a, a matter of halacha at all. Kidneys is a matter of minhag from beginning to end. Uh, all the posts agree that uh, only the five grains can produce chametz on Pesach, rice, and other kitniot are only a matter of Ashkenaz minhag. And the rule regarding minhag is that any food which is prohibited by because of minhag, as opposed to halacha, any food which is prohibited according to minhag will never prohibit the utensils. The minhag is to refrain from eating the food. But the minhag is not to refrain from eating food that was cooked in the utensils that had previously had that food in it. Uh, the, uh, the source of this idea has to do with a machlokis, a disagreement between the Jews in the Rhineland area of what today is Germany, the rest of the Ashkenaz Jews, a disagreement regarding exactly which fat in the cow's body is chaliv, prohibited, and which fat in the animal's body is shuman and therefore permitted. There's somewhat of a disagreement there. And uh, uh, the Shulchan Aruch says, uh, Ashkenazim, who take the strict position from outside of the Rhineland Valley, have no objection to eating food which is cooked in the utensils of the Rhineland Jews, because it's only a matter of minhag. Something which is only a matter of minhag does not prohibit the utensils. It's a general rule, but uh, uh, let, let's leave that for another series of, uh, of Shirim dealing with Minhagim in general. But let's go on with the question of glass. Uh, uh, Minchas Yaakov, one of the uh, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Reisha, author of the Shvus Yaakov, author of, uh, uh, of principal Ashkenaz works of Halacha, says as follows, Kli Zchuchit, 
uh, glass utensils cannot release any taste. He wrote this in the 19th century, not so long ago. Uh, 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 pickling in glass utensils will not release any taste. Achein, however, because in the Shulchan Aruch, we read the position of the Ashkenaz Poskim, who uh, disagree and say that uh, glass has the status of earthenware. Uh, but uh, we know the other authorities uh, who say it doesn't absorb at all. Of course, we distinguish between the stricture of chametz, that's the only area in which the Ashkenazim are strict, and other areas, uh, glass does not absorb at all. Now, if you think about it for a moment on the conceptual level, what we're, what we're talking about is as follows. On the conceptual level, glass has its origin in sand and therefore has a status of earthenware utensils. However, that's only the origin of the material out of which the glass is made. Once the glass has been made, it is smooth and not, not absorbent. So, so the, the problem here is how does one establish the halachic status of a material, the material out of which the utensil is made? Does one establish the, uh, the, the halachic status of the utensil, the material out of which the utensil is made based on the origin of that material? If so, glass is earthenware. Or does one determine the or does one determine the status of the utensil by what it is now, not what it was made out of? Now it's glass and smooth and not absorbent. Well, of course, any reasonable person will will come to the conclusion very quickly. It doesn't matter what the what the manufacturing history of the utensil is, if at the moment it does not absorb and does not release, that's all we should be concerned with. Well, what difference does it make if in the manufacturing history it was made out of materials which used to absorb? Uh, of course, the Iker halacha, of course, the fundamental decision of the halacha is in accord with the current state of the material Glass does not absorb, does not release, and therefore all is well. The strict position based on the origin of the materials, that the glass is made out of sand, well, this is a very interesting theoretical position, but, but it, 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 it's, it, it's something which can only influence the, the strictest area of halacha, namely Chometz and Pesach, and not other issues. Let's go one step further. Uh, prima Gaudum, uh, we're down to 18th century uh, Eastern Europe. The name of the author was Yosef Taomen. Uh, in the traditional editions of the Shulchan Aruch, this is uh, one of the commentaries printed in microscopic uh, letters in the back. You know, uh, I still have the old editions that I'm so comfortable with, but I got my magnifying glass to be able to read the Prima Gaudum in the back. In the more recent editions, uh, they've started to print the Prima Gaudium in bigger letters, so you don't need uh, p people like me, whose corneas are hardening up, don't need the magnifying glass. In any event, the Prima Gaudium says as follows. Batoris uh, Achatis is quoting one of the earlier works written by the Ramah. He wrote 
schulgeet en boleie bekommers de jenesig. The rabbi himself mentioned in an earlier work that glass does not absorb. In, in the Yoridea, that's exactly what he agrees to. But that's hard to understand because when talking about chametz, he's strict. The answer to this is only because of chametz was he strict. Uh, aside from chametz, no reason to be strict. And more me'ata, therefore you must conclude, klis chuchit hameko behefsed merubo lo hifsid, therefore anyone who uses the same glass utensils for both milk and meat has lost nothing, is quite uh, quite fine if the reason you're doing it is to avoid financial loss. If you can afford two sets of glass dishes, one for milk, one for meat, go for it. But if there's some financial difficulty, uh, the fundamental halacha agreed to by the Ashkenaz poskim as well is that there's no, re- no need for chumrah no need for being strict with glass aside from Pesach. Further, uh, the Maharsham, coming down to late 19th century Ashkenaz authority, Rav Shvadron, writes as follows, Lagabe shar isurim gam Even if you use the glass utensils for hot stuff, hot food, hot, uh, uh, chicken soup, hot beef soup, hot anything, uh, there's no objection to using the same bowl for uh, oatmeal and milk. Just has to be clean in between ordinary cleaning is all you need. This was the conclusion of the Minchas Yaakov on the previous screen. This is the conclusion of Rebbe Kiva Eger. Uh, uh, all the big name Ashkenaz Poskim agree with this. Ashkenazim worry about glass with respect to Chametz on Pesach and only with respect to Chametz on Pesach. Well, you, you see, we have Ashkenaz source after Ashkenaz source, one after another, generation after generation, all coming to the same conclusion that the strict position of the Ramah, based on the Tosafot, according to which glass absorbs and can never be kashered, that strict position is taken only because of the seriousness, the strictness of Hametz, the Torah itself is so strict about Hametz, building fence around fence, that we do that also. We take our lead from the Torah and we build all kinds of fences around the prohibition of chametz. You shouldn't come anywhere near it. But that's only a chametz problem, not a milk and meat problem, not a trafe problem if you acquired a glass utensil, a used glass utensil, which you bought uh, from a non-Jew and was previously used for uh, prohibited food, even hot. This utensil just has to be clean in the ordinary way. Tuvtam Vidas, Rav Shlomo Kluger, is the author of Tuvtam uh, Vidas we're about to look at. He was the Rav of Prague in the late 19th century. And uh, the reason I'm quoting him is because he was one of the all-time great strict uh, strict rabbis. 
Now, someone who is so strict in so many issues, in so many areas, the, the, the muscles of his fingers were so accustomed to writing the word asur, prohibited, took him great effort to control his the muscles of his fingers to write mutar permitted. He was so unaccustomed uh, to writing that word mutar permitted. Let's see what what what, what he, uh, one of the all time strictest posts, can have to say about glass utensils. Uh, I said he's from Prague. It's not true. He's from Brod, uh, the Rav of Brod in the nineteenth century. Uh, Ashkenaz. Yesh lamar. We must conclude. We must conclude that glass has the stricture of chametz. If we're using chametz in the utensil, then we cannot use it for Pesach. It's not because chametz is so strict. We have to say, it's true. We must say that glass does absorb. Glass does release the absorbed taste. What he's saying flies in the face of all the earlier or, or all the earlier authorities, but he says what he says, glass does absorb taste. Glass does release taste, but but glass absorbs very little taste and therefore releases very little taste. And therefore, as far as milk is concerned, as far as meat is concerned, as far as treif is concerned, where the rule of 160th applies, the amount of taste which a milk utensil will release into what you're cooking next is so small that it's never going to be significant. Other utensils, metal, earthenware, wood, stone, absorb much more and therefore release much more into whatever you're cooking next. Since chametz is a prohibition which applies even to the smallest amounts, the smallest amount of chametz which falls into the largest amount of food, there's no idea of 160th. Chametz is never bottle bashishim. Uh, the smallest amount of chametz can aser, can prohibit the largest mixture. Therefore, glass cannot be used for Pesach. Masha Enkein Bashari Surim, in other prohibitions, the amount of prohibited taste which is going to be released, the amount of milk which is going to be released into the meat or whatever, is so insignificant. We don't care about it. But all of a sudden, when Pesach comes, even the smallest amount of prohibited taste of chametz is prohibited. Now, uh, according to the, the Tuftam Vedas, um, even B'dievid, even after the fact, glass utensils are prohibited on Pesach. This is uh, even stricter than the Boskim we saw previously. But uh, uh, as I said, he's very, very strict. But even he, the strictest of all poskim can find room to be strict only with respect to Pesach. The other poskim hold B'dievid. No problem at all with glass utensils. The Ashkenazi can eat in a Sardic household and eat off of their dishes, glass dishes, which were used for chametz all year long. He, the Tuv Tam Vedas, is the strict posek who's not happy at all 
with Ashkenazim eating in the Sephardic household because of the of the infinitesimal amounts of chametz, which he claims will be released from the glass utensils into the food that you're eating now. Um, one last source for today to bring this down to modern times, uh, the, the uh, Nishmas Chaim by Reb Chaim Berlin. Reb Chaim Berlin was the son of the Nativ. He was uh, the first Ashkenaz rabbi of Moscow in the 19th century uh, when the Tsar first permitted Jews to live in Moscow. They called uh, Reb Chaim Berlin to be the Rav there. And subsequently, he was called by the community of Yerushalayim and became the second Ashkenaz Rav of Yerushalayim. The first Ashkenaz Rav was Rav Shmuel Salant. And when he passed away, uh, Rav Chaim Berlin was called from uh, Moscow to be the Ashkenaz Rav of Yerushalayim. In any event, he was, he was important, Posek. Regarding glass utensils, there's a disagreement among the rabbis. Well, we've seen the opinions. Of course, it would be correct to be strict. Of course, it's always correct to take the strict position. Uh, but the minhag amongst Ashkenazim is indeed to be lenient regarding glass utensils in all prohibitions aside from chametz. So he too falls in line with the thinking of the other poskin. Well, we're going to pause with this at this time. Next week, we're going to speak about different varieties of glass, Pyrex, Duralex, heat-resistant glass by any other name, and uh, we'll see what the poskin have to say about that next time, and then we will bring the discussion down to the 20th century uh, poskin, 21st century poskin, and see how they approach the issue. That will be for next week. Until then, I wish you a, a good week and eventually a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you all again a week from tonight. Until then, Shalom Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.